All right, if you got your Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 6. We're going to hang out in Acts chapter 6 for a little bit, and then we're going to look at Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. And, and we started this series a few weeks ago called 3 to 5, and we've been talking about really what our desire, our vision, if you will, to, to go from being a level 3 church to a level 5 church. And, and I've explained, if you were here, uh, just in case you weren't, I'll, I'll hit it for you or recap. A level 3 church is a church that is adding. It is growing, and, and by God's grace, we've been a level three church, and that's awesome, because uh, a level one church and a level two church is a church that's you know dying or subtracting or plateaued, and 80% of the churches in the North American context fit in those two levels, and so by God's grace, we have been a level three church. We have been growing, and, and we've seen a lot of people saved. We've you know added campuses. There's been a lot of things that God has done over the last 13 years, but what we're saying is our, our vision as we look forward to the future is... We want to be a level five church. We want to go from adding, level four is reproducing, and then multiplying. And so we've been moving into being a reproducing church. We've reproduced another campus. We've reproduced other things outside the church. But, but really for a level five multiplying church to happen is the things that we reproduce then reproduce. The, the, dis, the disciples we make then make disciples. And the churches we plant then plant churches. That's what it really means to have multiplication. And that's what makes it so powerful. So we've been talking over that the last several weeks, and all that comes out of Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, it says that in these days when the disciples were multiplying or increasing greatly, and my whole contention has been, I don't know about you, but I want these days today, I want 2018 to be like those days, right? I mean, I want these days today to be like those days because it's the same God. I mean, if God did this, it's written down in the book of Acts that here's the acts of the apostles, here's the acts of the church, here's what happened, that if the same God that did it then, he can do it now. And so last week, if you were here, we just looked back between Acts 1 and Acts 5 and said, okay, if, if that's what was happening in Acts chapter 6, then what was happening in Acts 1 through 5? What, what were they doing in Acts 1 through 5 that led to those days when the disciples were multiplying greatly? And like a good Baptist preacher that I am, I came up with three S's, all right? So if you were here, you remember those. If not, I'll recap those quickly for you too. The first S is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus says in Acts 1.8, that he would fill them with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them to be his witnesses. Then we see that happen in Acts chapter 2, right? At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them to speak. Then what you see is they stayed stubborn, that's the second S. They didn't come off this vision of multiplication. They didn't come off this vision of preaching Jesus everywhere that they went. And so that stubbornness, like we talked about in the first week, they were the original monomaniacs, right? They were maniacal about one thing. They stayed focused on one thing, and they didn't come off of that. And then the last S was sacrifice. We talked last week about, yes, we need the Holy Spirit. Yes, we've got to stay stubborn. And yes, we have to sacrifice. And we saw how the early church in Acts 2 and Acts 4, how they literally sacrificed. They sold things. They sold houses, lands, and gave it so that the church could multiply greatly. And so as we think about that as a church, what we're saying is, man, if we want to have this movement of multiplication, we want to see this vision take place, and that's what it's going to require of us. But what I want to do today is, is this. We talked a lot about vision of the church and where the church is headed, but I want to make it personal to you. I want you to understand that, that yes, this is the, the, the vision of the church. This is God's vision, and you have a role to play in that. Because I think a lot of times, if we're not careful, we think, well, that's great. That's the vision of the church, but what's my part? And so what I want to do today is pick right back up there in Acts chapter 6. We'll look at Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. 
And, and just look at these men that they found in Acts chapter six that were full of the spirit, full of wisdom, and then what they did or what better yet, what God did through them. And I want to use that as an opportunity to say, we, we read these stories and we think, man, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could be those people. But I want you to understand they were just normal people who God used in great ways. All right. So Acts chapter six, where we're going to start as always, let's pray before we get started. Father, as always, we want to pause and take a moment and recognize our complete need for you. Recognize the fact that without you, without your spirit, God, we are blind, we are dead. And so thank you for what you have done in our lives. For those of us that you have saved, God, thank you. For those of us that are not saved, God, I pray that you would move today and save. But regardless of, of where we find ourselves, God, we know that all of us need you. And so as we open your word now, God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see the truth in it. You would help us to understand and then live it out in Jesus name. Amen. Acts chapter six, verse eight through 15. We're going to jump in here and look at Stephen, who was one of those seven guys that they that they found in Acts chapter six, verse one through seven, when this complaint arose and they had to develop other leaders. Stephen was one of the first ones that was mentioned there. So it says this about Stephen. It says, and Stephen, full of grace and power. Now, that's important. Stephen, full of grace and power. The Bible says it was full of, he was full of the Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? Well, what it means to be full of the Spirit is to be full of grace and power. It says, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, I hope I said that correctly, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Caesarea and Asia, rose up. And disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, again, I want to stop here for a second and let's, let's, let's chat about this. We read this and we think, man, Stephen was amazing full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace. He was full of power. And, and, and man, he just went out and was preaching and, and no one could refute him. I mean, this guy obviously knew the Bible, knew what he was talking about to the point to where they couldn't even withstand speaking against him because he had so much power and he had so much wisdom. And, and we tend to read stories like that. And we think, man, there's no way I could be Stephen. But I want you to understand something. Stephen wasn't Stephen either without the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is this. Stephen needed the Holy Spirit just as much as you and I need the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing about Stephen is not that Stephen was so amazing. It was that Stephen was full of the Spirit. And I mention that to say, because I think a lot of times when we read our Bibles, we think, man, there's no way I could be Stephen. There's no way I could be Paul. There's no way I could be David. There's no way I could be Moses. I want you to understand something. When God found them, they weren't their finished product either. And here's why that's so important. When it comes to the process of multiplication, I want you to understand that God wants to multiply you. God wants to take you, bless you, make you full of the Holy Spirit, give you grace, give you power, and then give you opportunities to go out and share that. And so often we don't do that because we're afraid or we think there's no way God could use me. 
And I, and I was thinking about that this week. We had our um, welcome dinner here in, in Canton and in Jasper. And uh, I got a question. We always have a Q&A time during our, we talk about the mission of our church, kind of what makes us us. And we always have a Q&A time at the end. And, you know, the questions are pretty standard, you know, certain about certain things or groups or kids and students, kind of different things that we do. But I got a question this last welcome dinner that in, gosh, eight years of doing these things is probably the best question I've ever been asked. And, and it was one of those questions that when he asked it, when this guy asked it, I was like, wow, what an amazing question. Here is his question. He said, as a pastor, as a pastor of Revolution Church, what are you the most excited about? What excites you the most? And I thought, wow, what a, what a great question. And, and as I started you know, processing, I didn't have like a routine answer for that. Oh, this is what we do for groups. So oh, this is what we do for kids. Oh, this is how we park. Or if you want coffee, join a team, right? All that kind of stuff. So I had to think for a second, okay, what is it the thing, what is it that I'm the most excited about as the pastor of Revolution Church? And here's the answer that I gave him. So, you know, this whole vision of multiplication that we're talking about, this whole three to five thing, we want our church to multiply. So what excites me the most are the people within our church that God is going to raise up. The people in our church that God wants to do great things through that they don't think God could ever do through them. And I gave specific examples of some people, even on our staff, some of our leaders, guys like Corey, who's our student minister, guys like Brian, who's on our production team. Uh, those guys were, were just students of mine back in Texas. And, you know, they were just in the student ministry. And now uh, they are leading in the church. And my point to him was, I get more excited about that than I do anything else. I get more excited about the fact that now my son, who's in students, is being taught by a guy that I had the privilege of helping lead to the Lord and apprentice into ministry. And now he's, he is using his gifts that God has given him to bless my own son. That is what excites me more than anything. And, and here was my, my thought, and here's my point. No one in seminary or no one even early in ministry told me how fun that was. No one talked about, man, yeah, you want to set your church up like this, do this, this is what discipleship looks like, here's all this. We talk about all that, but no one's like, but hey, let me tell you something. It is so much fun to watch people, guys like a Stephen, who never in a million years thought that they could stand up full of the Holy Spirit and refute other people in the name of Jesus. They never thought they could do something like that. So literally the title of the message today is what excites me most and what excites me most is the fact that in this church, in those seats that you're sitting in right now, right now, God wants to take your life, save you if you're not saved. If you are saved, continue to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can do the things that he put you on earth to do. That is what excites me more than anything. So the whole reason why we want to multiply campuses and churches is not just to reach the loss, but to provide the opportunities for you to multiply and step into the giftings and leadership opportunities that God designed for you. And you didn't even know that they were in you. 
Again, I I just have to believe that Stephen didn't see himself standing up full of grace and power doing these amazing signs and wonders. I bet that Stephen was just as amazed at everybody as everybody else was that he was actually doing those things. And that is what excites me the most about multiplication. It's because God wants to use Stephen's, Philip's, Joseph's. You insert your own name. And he wants to leverage your life for the sake of his kingdom. And he wants to do great things for you and great things in you. Now, when that happens, as we've talked about, when you multiply, when you make Jesus in his vision, your vision, you make what he wants to do in the world, your life mission, then obviously, naturally, you're going to face resistance. So did Stephen. So did Stephen. The story goes on like this. It says, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they, met, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, um, this man, now listen, I love this. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus, right? This Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered us. Now listen to verse 15 and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Almost sounds like a Hallmark movie, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, what this guy again, we read this story and we're like, there's no way I could be Stephen. Here's what you need to understand. It's not about Stephen. It's about the fact that Stephen simply turned his life over to the Lordship of Jesus. He was so filled with the Holy Spirit that he couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And in doing that, God empowered him in such a supernatural way that people were being healed, miraculous things were being done. And as he faced opposition, even those people looking at him couldn't deny the fact, oh my gosh, this guy doing what he, look at his face, he looks like the face of an angel. Now I want you to understand something. This is just a normal dude. Just a normal guy. Sold out. And I love the description. Man, this dude never ceases to talk about Jesus. He keeps talking about Jesus. Now, they twisted the words, right? They, they hired some people. They instigated. Their whole point was they were rising up to take action, deliberate action, lied, right? Kind of made some stuff up, which that always happens. But I love that the worst thing that they could say about Stephen is this dude, this cat just keeps talking about Jesus. What a great thing to be said. And and here's my point. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can talk about Jesus. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that filled Stephen with grace and power that came upon him can fill you with grace and power to the point to where you never stop talking about Jesus and God does miraculous things in your life. So again, when we talk about multiplication, what excites me the most, what excites me the most is not just starting a campus, not just starting a church and reaching new people. Yes, that is equally exciting. But what excites me the most is to know that God is going to use you to do it in a supernatural way. 
as one pastor said, I love God's going to add his super to your natural. God's going to add his super to your natural in a supernatural way. God wants to leverage your life for the sake of his kingdom. And so the best thing to do in stories like this is to insert yourself into the story. And say, instead of saying, man, I could never be Stephen, say, what if God wants me to be Stephen? What if I am the next Stephen? Now, again, you have to understand, when Stephen made this his life mission, when, when he went after this with everything he was, it cost him his life. Now, flip over to Acts chapter 8. We'll kind of we'll skip around some just for the sake of time. But Acts chapter 8, it talks about after Stephen was stoned. Stephen was killed. Now, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1, starting in verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. Now, again, don't have time to do this, but I would strongly encourage you, go back and read chapter seven. If you go back and read chapter seven, you wanna know what it means to be full of grace and power and to speak boldly in, in the name of Jesus. If you wanna know what you're supposed to say, Go read chapter seven. It is an amazing chapter where Stephen just lays it all on the line about who Jesus is. And since he did that, yes, it did cost him his life. But again, my contention is simply this. The goal of our life is not to live a long one, but to live a full one. Do you think Stephen right now in heaven regrets doing that? You think he regrets never ceasing to talk about Jesus in fact, at the end of his life in chapter seven, it says he looked up and he saw Jesus standing. Man, it says Saul proved of his execution. Go back to verse one. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They were still in Jerusalem. Devout men, verse two, buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So obviously he had a funeral crying over him. Verse three, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, here's what's important about that and why I didn't skip over this. The thing you need to understand is when God starts multiplying your life, when God starts leveraging your life to do miraculous things, when you, when you make that your mission to never stop talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, obviously you're going to face opposition. And here's why I think most people, why most people think I could never do that. Most people think I could never live my life in such a way where it cost me that. I mean, men and women, it says, were committed to prison. As Saul, this guy, he was literally proving of executions and dragging off Christians to prison. But let me ask you a question. It's not, can you do that? Because you sacrifice for things every day that you love. You sacrifice for things every day that you love. So the question is not, can you do that? Or do you have what it takes to stay the course? The question is, how much do you love Jesus? 
See, if I, if I came to you and said, hey, by, you know, 24 hours or 30 or 48 hours, the next 48 hours, you got to come up with $100,000. If I said, you got to come up with $100,000 in the next two days, you'd be like, man, how can I do that? I can't do that. But what if I put this caveat on it? You got 48 hours to come up with $100,000 or your child will die. If you put that on there, now you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to do whatever it takes because of your love for your kid. And that's what you should do. So again, I think a lot of times what the missing ingredient of why we don't allow God to multiply our life is very simply the fact that we just haven't fully understood who Jesus is. This is why part of our mission is love Jesus. Because when you love Jesus, you will do whatever it takes to grow people. When you love Jesus, when Jesus has so changed your life, when you've had an encounter with Jesus, I'll talk more about that in just a second as it relates to Saul. When you have met Jesus, the living resurrected Jesus, then, then you say, man, I'm, I'm selling out for that. I can do nothing else. I mean, that's what Stephen said. I, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus come back to life. Jesus empowered me by his Holy Spirit. I can't stop talking about it. And if they kill me, they kill me. I love him too much. I'm not going to deny him. And then you see the church in a very similar situation where they're getting dragged off to prison and they won't deny him. Why? Because of their love for him, they are willing to sacrifice everything. I love how Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10 through 12, where it's talking about the kind of the hall of faith. It says at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, that they were willing to joyfully endure the plundering of their property because they had a better possession. And that possession was Jesus. So last week we talked about sacrifice. I want you to understand something. When Jesus is your treasure, that anything else is not really a sacrifice. Giving up things that I love. I do love them, but I don't love them as much as Jesus. That only makes sense. Right? And so... I want you to understand the reason why most of us don't have stories written about this, like about us like this, like Stephen is, is not because Stephen was a better person. It's not because Stephen was so much more gifted and you could never be like Stephen. No, no, it's simply because we haven't fallen in love enough with Jesus to the point to where his spirit, where we have begged God to fill us with his spirit and he gives us grace and power and we go out and we just can't stop talking about Jesus. So once you understand when that happens, it will cost you everything. It will. But you're no fool to give up the things that you can't keep to gain the thing that you'll never lose. That's wise to give up things now in this life to gain that which you will never lose for all eternity, namely Jesus himself. Now, there's another part to this. I want you to understand that even in the persecution, even in the sufferings, even though they were being dragged off, kicked out of Jerusalem, taken to other places, even that was an opportunity for them to multiply. Look at the next few verses. Verse four, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Now don't miss, don't, uh, don't forget 
Philip, again, was one of those seven in Acts chapter six, Stephen and then Philip. So here's just another guy who was chosen by the apostles because he was full of the spirit and wisdom, who now, through the persecution after Stephen was stoned, is sent out, is literally sent out, not in a good way, but has to flee. And then as they're fleeing, he is preaching Jesus in the towns that he comes to. Now, look at what happens. It says, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Now listen to verse eight. So there was much joy in that city. There was much joy in that city. Again, you want to know why we have this vision of multiplication? It's because we wanted to take joy to Jasper. Now, when I say joy, I don't don't mean just this fleeting happiness. We just talked about this as a staff this last week in our all staff meeting because we give out this award now every month called the Joy Award. And and I didn't come up with this, but but J-O-Y, down in my heart, deep down in my heart, right? Joy, the J, Jesus. Oh, others, why you? So joy at the at the center of it, at the root of what it means to have joy means you're so satisfied in who Jesus is for you. And so it doesn't matter what the circumstances are in your life. Jesus is your joy. Your happiness is based on your circumstance. Your joy is based on Jesus. So no matter what scenario you find yourself in, you have reason, as Paul says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I point that out because they were facing persecution. Just these normal guys, Stephen, Philip, facing persecution. Now they're being, you know, literally run out of town. And what do they do? They don't sit around and cry about it. They see it as an opportunity to share the gospel. Listen, they saw themselves more as a seed that was going to be planted than just a seed that was scattered. They saw themselves as missionaries which simply means a person on a mission. And that mission was to grow people. So here's Philip, again, just a normal guy, just a guy that was a part of the church that was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that the apostles had a, I see in you conversation. So man, I see something in you. And now this guy, two chapters later, is out preaching and bringing joy to a whole new city. Again, the whole reason why we have this vision of multiplication is we want to bring joy to Jasper. We want to bring joy to Canton. We want to bring joy to Woodstock. We want to bring joy to uh, Kikiring and and Tia in Kenya. We want to bring joy to all around the city of Atlanta. Every place that, that people are sent out to, we want them to have the, again, the seed. Think about it that way, that they are sent out as, as a seed to, to spread the gospel, to plant the gospel there. Because if they do that, then that city, will have joy. Again, I, I want the city that God sends me to, to have joy because I'm in it. I want the neighborhood that I live in to have joy because I'm in it. I want the small group or the team that I'm on or I'm in to have joy because I'm in it. And again, this is so important to help us reframe how we think about suffering, how we think about trials. I mean, think about it like this. If Philip and and Stephen in the early church had not been persecuted, then they may not have ever gone down to Samaria. 
They may not have ever gone out and they may not ever preach and, and people in that town wouldn't have been healed and they wouldn't have had joy. So they completely reframed how they were thinking about this vision of saying, hey, we could just be upset that God's allowing us to be persecuted, or we could see that God's even in this, and, and we're being sent to this city, and they thought they were trying to shut us up, but they just set us up. They just went down to Samaria. They just went down to Sandy Springs. Do you know Sandy Springs is like the sixth largest city in the entire state of Georgia? I just looked that up. That's a random fact. We want a revolution church in Sandy Springs? Maybe. We're going to have a campus there? Maybe. I don't know. It might be a church. It might be a separate church. From us. Here's what I know. Does Sandy Springs need joy? Does Sandy Springs need Jesus? Does Woodstock need Jesus? Does Jasper need Jesus? Does Canton need Jesus? Does Kenya need Jesus? Yes. And who does he want to use to take Jesus, to take joy to them. You, Stephen, Philip. You know what's crazy? He'll even use Saul's. He'll even use a Saul. Flip over to chapter nine quickly. In chapter eight, you saw that Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. And the crazy thing in chapter nine, God saves Saul. Saul is going out to drag more people to prison, screaming murderous threats to the church. And Jesus meets him on a road to Damascus and says, why are you persecuting me? Why? Right? I've said this before, the scales fall on his eyes. He has to go to a house. I mean, just like, I mean, literally his whole life, hijacked, whole life turned upside down. And then has to come basically pray for him. The scales fall off. What happens after that? Paul or Saul, sorry, at that point still goes out and starts preaching Jesus. Listen, you read the Bible and you think, man, there's no way I could be Paul. Guess what? Paul wasn't Paul either. Paul was Saul. He was murdering Christians, dragging them off to jail. So you may be sitting there today and you think, there's no way I could be them. <laughs> You're right. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can. Because it's not about you. It's about God in you. And that's why I love this series. That's why I love this vision. I can't wait to see the Stevens rise up. I can't wait to see the Phillips rise up. I can't wait to see the Sauls rise up. And you may be sitting there today and you're like, this is crazy. I don't even believe in Jesus. Guess what? You might be our next church planner. You might be our next campus pastor. You might be our next leader in Rev Kids. You might be the next group leader. You might lead the parking team. You're like, there's no way. Listen, if God can turn Saul's heart, he can turn yours. Look at what happens. Chapter nine, go to verse 26. It says, and when he, this is Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Now, honestly, obviously, they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Like, is this just one of his tricks? Verse 27, I mentioned this verse last week. But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Jesus. 
So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29 and 30. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But now listen to this. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now get this. The guy who one chapter earlier approved the execution of Stephen. Stephen, the guy full of grace and power who was disputing everybody, who was teaching, who would never stop talking about Jesus to the point where nobody could could defeat him. Nobody could confound him. He was so full of grace and power that, that nobody could stop him. So the only thing that they could think to do is to kill him. Saul approved that. And now one chapter later, the guy who approved that, he, because he met Jesus, is now out preaching and people are seeking to kill him because they can't dispute against him. So don't tell me God can't use your life. I don't know if you're Stephen, you're already in the church and, and you just need to have that I see in you conversation. You just need permission. You just need somebody to come alongside you and say, man, I see something in you. I'm going to help you in this journey. Let's pray for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, empower you to do this. I know you feel like you can't do it, but God can. Whether you're Stephen or whether you're Saul and you're sitting here and going, this is crazy. I just can because my mom told me I'd get free turkey dinner if I came to church this weekend, right? And you think there's no way I could ever do something. I don't even like God. I don't even believe there is a God. Listen, God could even use you to multiply this mission of making disciples. But I don't want to miss Barnabas either. Again, I mentioned this last week. At the end of chapter four last week, when we were talking about sacrifice and all the people giving land and houses and bringing the proceeds, the end of that, verse 36 and 37, it says, but Joseph, who was called Barnabas, son of encouragement, sold a field or house, can't remember which, and brought the proceeds to the apostles. And my whole point last week was it was, it was Barnabas's generosity that opened the door of leadership for him. It opened the opportunity for him to be in with the apostles. He got it and they understood that he got it because if he was willing to sacrifice again, it proved that he loved Jesus. And now here in Acts chapter nine, when Saul, the one who was persecuting, it was Saul that was persecuting them and making them spread out to Samaria and Sandy Springs and Jasper and Woodstock and everywhere else. Now he gets saved and it's Barnabas who stands up and brings him to the apostles and witnesses on his account and says, no, you can trust him. I've seen it. He's been preaching Jesus boldly. So here's my point in mentioning that we all have a role to play. You might be more like Stephen. You might be more like Philip. You might be more like Saul. You might be more like Barnabas. The point very simply is this. God wants to use all of our lives in different and unique ways for this vision of multiplying this mission of making disciples. That's what he wants. Look at the last verse, verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It what? It mul- come on now, come on now. It what? 
You got to say it by, like Barry White. It, multiplied, right? I mean, you got to sing it. I'm not going to do that again. You can not have to do that. But here's the point. It multiplied. Again, we saw in Acts 6, in those days when the disciples were multiplying greatly, a plank, uh, complaint arose. They empowered these men. Then you see from chapter 6 through 9, these men being used in great ways. And even when they faced persecution, the very people that were persecuting them, God converted him and used him for this same vision of multiplication. The church was being built up. Being built up. Disciples were being made. They had the fear of the Lord, which means this respect doesn't mean you're afraid of God. It means you, you're in awe of God. You respect him. They have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it multiplied. Again, revolution. Come on, hear me. The vision of Revolution Church to go from three to five is simply the vision of the church. What I mean by that is this. It's simply the vision that the Bible has for the church of Christ. For Jesus's people, that's the vision to multiply. And you want to know, like I said, what excites me most? What excites me most about this vision is you. What excites me most is to see God use your life in crazy ways. God to empower you in such a way where you speak about Jesus, where you perform miracles, where you do things that you never thought were possible simply because you just love Jesus. And so when I think about this vision of multiplication, yes, it is about bringing our church in line with the vision that God has for his church. But what excites me the most are the Stevens in our own church, the Phillips the Barnabases, the Pauls, the Chads, the Davids, the Zips, the Hernands. What can God do in your life if you just loved him and you were committed to this vision? Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that the people that you draw to yourself are simply the people that need you the most. That, that you don't save us because we were good. You don't save us because we had anything to offer you. You saved us simply because you loved us. And you Give us your Holy Spirit to not only save us, but to empower us for this mission of going out and multiplying disciples. And so God, I thank you that all of us sitting in these seats and listening today, all of us, because of your Holy Spirit, can be involved in this vision and even though all of us think that we could never do it, but by your spirit, we can. You can empower us to do things we never thought were possible. And God, that's what excites me the most. What excites me the most 
as a pastor is equipping your people for your work. And God, we know that that starts with first and foremost having a relationship with you. And so there may be some men and women today that are here that are like Saul. They don't believe. They haven't trusted Jesus. God, I pray today that you would save them. You would open their eyes to see the truth about who he is. And by your spirit, you would regenerate them. Would you do that right now? Now, nobody looking around or talking as always as we close. If there's never been a point in time in your life where you have trusted Jesus, where you've had an encounter like Saul, where you saw Jesus and he saved you and your life was turned around. If that's never happened, then that can happen right now. And right there where you're out, if you want to trust Jesus, then very simply what I'm going to ask you to do is pray with me, not out loud. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, Jesus, to save me. I ask you to do that. Would you save me? Would you forgive me? I give you my life. Now, again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just pray to trust Jesus, very simply, would you just simply lift your hand where you're at? Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Just leave it up just for a second. We got men and women walking around, going to put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. Thank you. But then the rest of us, maybe you were Saul, but now you're, you're more like Stephen or Philip and you think, man, there's no way I could preach. There's no way I could do that. Listen, there's no way they could do that either without the Holy Spirit. So God wants you in on this vision. God wants to use your life to multiply his church. The only people God can use are normal human people that are in relationship with a supernatural God. So if that's you, if you feel like God wants to leverage your life, use your life for this vision of multiplication, very simply, the prayer is, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Give me grace. Give me power to do the things that on my own I can't do. Because it's hard. I'm it's hard. It's tough. Sharing Jesus, it's fearful. We get afraid. We're afraid of being persecuted. We're afraid of prison, right? I'm, we're afraid of all that stuff. I get it. I understand. But listen, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And so if you simply ask for more grace, more power, more wisdom from the Holy Spirit, God will grant that to you. Father, that's what we want. We want to see this vision of multiplication happen for the sake of your glory and for the good of people. We want to take this joy that we have in Jesus to the cities, 
And, and yes, that's going to happen through the campuses that we plant, but it's also going to happen through the churches that we plant outside of our church, because there are other cities that need joy. They need to know Jesus. And so God, we're not going to come off this vision. We're going to stay stubborn. We're, we're going to sacrifice for it. So would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you empower us to do this vision, God, to accomplish this mission that you have given us to go into all the world and make disciples? Thank you that you just didn't, didn't just give us the command, but you also gave us the person of the Holy Spirit to give us power to accomplish it. And so God, as we think about the future, as we dream about the places and the cities you want us to go to, we're so excited. We're so excited to see the Stevens, to see the Phillips, to see the Barnabases, to see the Sauls, to see the, the people in Revolution Church who you want to build up, you want to empower and send out. God, I'm so excited about that. And in faith, we believe it's gonna happen and I can't wait to happen. I can't wait to celebrate it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.